Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Well, dear listeners, Christmas Eve is upon us. Time to batten down the hatches for a few days with our nearest and dearest. Eat, drink, be merry and try our level best not to lose the head too quickly. Wherever you are, we hope you're in for a happy Christmas because, as we know, this time of year can be terribly hard for many of us. But here at the Women's Podcast, we aim to alleviate the stresses of normal life with great guests. And for today's show, we ask some of the women who graced our studio with their presence this year to tell us about their Christmas memories. Some are sad, some are mad and some are hilarious, a bit like Christmas itself. Roisin. You've been collecting these Christmas stories. Yeah, we have. So some of them are very short, um, but they just really put you in that Christmas Eve, wrapping your presents, bit of mulled wine mood. A couple of them are much longer and they appear in our Christmas Eve magazine, which is in the Irish Times on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And they are from Brianna Parkins, who you remember is the former Sydney Rose, and Ruth Fitzmaurice, who sadly lost her husband Simon last year from motor neuron disease. And they both have beautiful stories in the Irish Times Christmas Eve edition. And they came in to read them out. So they kind of bookend it. And then between there's these lovely little, just people remembering anecdotes from Christmas from their childhood. Uh, I think my mum's one is in there about the time she uh, burnt the turkey. So you'll hear lots of different names. Some you'll recognise, some you won't. But it's a really lovely collection. It sounds wonderful. Happy Christmas, everyone. Happy Christmas, everyone. This is Rosemary Smith and I was race car driver and Christmas memories. Rows in our household and more rows. I don't like it. When I was married and uh, we had a lovely house and I thought being the good, dutiful wife, I would invite all his family for Christmas dinner. And they all came up, 22 of them. But the difficulty was that all the electricity went off. So the very big turkey I had, uh, it didn't quite cook. A time that I wanted it cooked, but the vegetables and all were done and they were sort of getting soggy in the pots, one thing or another. The electricity didn't come on till 11 that night. So we were sitting down to eat at about 2 a.m. And out of all this, uh, one of the, they were drinking now all the time. Drink, 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 everything. And then one of them saying, oh, well, this will be your last Christmas, of course, won't it? And I said, what do you mean? Oh, well, I mean, you know, he's leaving. He's going off with this ex-girlfriend of his. That's the first I heard of it. And that is another reason to hate Christmas. And and then he gave me a, a little box and I thought, oh, maybe, maybe this, you know, it, it, it's a mistake. And when I opened the box, it was little garnet, not even rubies, little garnet earrings. And I thought, yeah, little lousy bastard. And with a great big fire, you know, with a big dog grate and all the rest of it. And I just took them and I said, you, pointing at him, I said, this is what I think of you. And I threw them in the fire. That was the end of them. So, you see, I don't like Christmas. Hi, my name is Christine Cummerford, and I'm the author of Power Your Tribe. And my Christmas ritual, if you will, began on a 2003 Christmas Eve. Um, it might sound a little sad in the beginning. Um, that's when my father passed away. 
but he passed away that date, I believe, to remind me what a gift he was to me. So every Christmas Eve, I think about all the people and that are in my life and how each of them is such a huge gift to me, whether they're with us or no longer with us. So I kind of list through all the presents that I've received in the love from the people that have been in my life. Hi, my name is Ruth Fitzmaurice, uh, author of I Found My Tribe. And I've written about Christmas with my five children in Greystones, but without my husband, Simon Fitzmaurice, who died of motor neuron disease in 2017. There's a hole in my pocket and I seem to have lost Christmas. It's dark in there, so maybe it fell out. How careless of me. I'm sure it's around here somewhere. Dig deep, I demanded of myself, but it was gone. Silly girl, you're always losing things, said a little drummer voice that patrolled my head with a proverbial beat, parum pum pum Pull yourself together quick. You'll have to fake it until you make it, because the children will know. Put your game face on to play family board games. For the sake of five small people, say a prayer to St Anthony, Search high and low, retrace your steps. When do you remember having it last and what does it look like? Too much has happened. I can't pinpoint a thing and I don't rightly recall. A lot of things needed doing and so I did those instead. Stop pestering me about Christmas. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I put the tree up, slap on a smile, pour a large glass of wine and engage the children in some trivial pursuit. But damn it, my kids prefer Monopoly. Only a proper takeover will do. Full acquisition of my motherly soul. They command more meaning. Sense my distraction. I gulp too much wine nervously. Five pairs of eyebrows raise simultaneously as my overzealous jazz hands knock the glass. Wine soaks the game and nobody wins. Small eyes bore into me as the board of colourful chips bleeds red. My heart is full of thorns. This won't do at all, reflects my muggy head. I'd better start looking. Christmas, where are you? Like a twinkly light on a shaft of tinsel, some part of me recalls it was sparkly, so I follow the lights to a magical shopping place my kids call Dum Dum. Dear God, the noise. What is this madness? I feel overheated and empty. Visions of sugar plums used to dance in my head. Parcels sit perched here under plastic trees. We're surrounded. Incoming snowmen dive bomb us from overhead. They are polystyrene plump. I yearn for something softer, a broad face and a little round belly. You know the kind, like a bowl full of jelly. Am I swaying? Deck the halls in this brightly lit hell. Tis the season to sell, sell, sell. I used to love the bustle of Christmas Eve, the scramble for presents. I hear a carnal lowing from amongst the crowd and realise it's my own throat. Hark, candy canes have her growling, but no crying she makes. Panpipe music hits in waves. They seem to come in sets of seven, a holy number. I scream in anguished Quasimodo, the bells, get me out of here before I melt. Are my shoes too tight? Is my head screwed on right? Who's your favourite dead person? Debate my six-year-old twins while munching crispies. Mine's either Dada or one of the animals. 
Dead things shadow my thoughts. The loved ones not here, stitched tight around my heart, make it two sizes too small. Maybe stitches loosen over time. I don't do Christmas. Some folk shrug these words out and seem to live by them. I sound the words around my mouth just to try them on for size. Hand on hip, they could be my new best armour. Go live in a cave while the glitter storms rage. It could never work. The kids would track me down when they got hungry. If this story had any decency at all, then Christmas would find me, save me, teach me some valuable lesson. Where are you, Christmas? We're Scrooged. I decide to look for it in seasonal films. Baby, it's cold outside, sings Elf. Ghosts of Christmas past rattle me like Jacob Marley's chains. There's trouble at the Nakatomi building for barefoot Bruce Willis. Broken Christmas baubles bloody his die-hard feet to ribbons. A boy is home alone, scared of the furnace in the basement and an old man with a shovel. Charlie Brown weeps over a drooping tree. The snowman is reduced to a puddle. Bill Murray wants to glue antlers onto a mouse and Edward has scissors for hands. Loneliness is an awful thing. It can put years on you, the need to be touched. Put away the Christmas movies. We watch a film about colourful trolls instead, but all it takes is one sad grey one. I went grey when Dada died, sobs my daughter as they sing True Colours. I've got the grief, says my pale, lethargic nine-year-old, like a cold that's catching with a hacking cough. Damn you, grief, for making my children feel bad. It makes me Clark Griswold sort of mad. I want to look you straight in the eye and tell you what a cheap, lying, no-good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed. A light bulb pops mid-Yuletide rant. I might require backup. It's Christmas, after all, and we need more family. First, we have Christmas plays to attend, the five schoolgoers and I. We will find a Christmas glow here among innocence in angel wings and homemade sheets. Lanky tots, still chubby of cheek, will shout their lines and sing out their hearts. The twins take to the stage and the rest of us huddle to watch. I grin over the tops of their heads. Look at what's left of our radioactive, anti-nuclear family. My fingers itch to ruffle their hair, a forbidden act in this place of uniformed peers. Try and act normal, Mama, I'm warned. Don't embarrass us. The twins fidget through songs, big spirits bottled in tiny bodies. I turn for a shared parent smile with their dad, forgetting in the moment that he's not there beside me. Of course he's not, just three sons who look remarkably like him. The singing starts and my insides crumble, stirred from that collective singing togetherness. There's something in my eye and I'm shallow breathing. Ouch, is this Christmas? It hurts. The moment is short-lived because my boy on stage has tripped over the baby Jesus and everybody laughs. He turns his back on the audience and refuses to say his lines. His sister, engaged in her own performance reverie, darts an eye towards him between verses. Say your line, she hisses, but he's shrinking, going, going, gone. She continues to split herself diligently between a scold and her own song. 
he sees out the rest of the play, staring at some spot in the middle distance, sunk into the floorboards while standing stock still, a remarkable achievement in itself. It's the best disappearing boy act I have ever witnessed. I sink with him. Suffer little children, but not this much. It's not fair. Grief rates should be capped for kids by some kind of government body. The five of them were robbed of a dad and that's enough. 22 souls, 11 adults and grandchildren apiece. This is it. Christmas, I have found you, with plenty of hands to grasp. Between good food, lethal Irish coffees, sibling banter and utter madness, surely Christmas means family? Be grateful. The day is not the same without children, I'm told. Stockings hung by the chimney with care, little ones nestled all snug in their beds, the laughter, the childlike joy. You just can't bottle it. I bow my head because I know we are blessed. Give thanks. But then they all get the vomiting bug. A plague on both your houses with half the adults too. The kids' table is tumbleweed empty, but for one toddler in the corner, slapping mashed potato and a single nervous picker. He won't be there long and knows it, face green as a fairy liquid bottle. Noise rouses the remaining adults as another child pukes. My sister and her partner have disappeared for the duration, protecting their new burrito baby, a firstborn, packed away in a manger. They peek through a crack in the door with haunted faces between feeds. The rest of us run back and forth with vomit bowls. Peace on earth, mercy mild, and God bless the child. Catatonic kids can't even cope with chitty-chitty bang-bang from the couch. The scant adults still standing do a remarkable job of maintaining their childlike spirit. What's in this coffee? I'm dazzled by our collective festive jumpers, My cup spilleth over with silliness, but packaging alone won't unwrap Christmas. When the dust settles, I wander around the house and marvel at kept treasures. Decorations sit on the tree from my mother's childhood. A snow scene passed down from her mother has figures so worn they look like melted blobs a dog might have chewed. Then I remember that several probably did. The dead still hang in the air, but now they are whispering. I recall seeing my own dad, eyes damp by the record player, crying quietly in the half-light by the fire, as Verdi's chorus of the Hebrew slaves chanted incantations that reduced him to tears. I had never seen my dad cry. As a child, I understood perfectly, to leave him alone, that he had turned to smile at somebody who wasn't there anymore, and now he missed them his own father, of course. And there it was. Christmas hit me like the hallelujah chorus, a human fellowship of the living, the dead, the mostly dead, the vibrantly alive, the newly born. I welcomed a full choir of voices in my ears as I stood heart to heart and hand to hand with all that is past, present and future. Candles flicker, our mortal bones glow, We soar on nostalgia spirit wings. This uncomfortable pull on the heartstrings, particular to Christmas. I had to be somewhere safe to find it. I could lose it for years, shunned, misplaced, left for dead. What a surprise to stumble upon. I'll take it back while my pocket has room 
briefly, because there's still a hole, you see. Suddenly, my heart didn't feel quite so tight. It might have grown three sizes that day. I could say with real meaning, Happy Christmas to all, and to all a good night. I'm Katie Hannan. I'm a political correspondent with Orti's current affairs department and presenter of Late Debate. My memory of my childhood Christmases in Kerry was uh, more about Stephen's Day, actually, uh, because on Stephen's Day, the tradition was that we went on the ran. And that, as you got older, that involved dressing up with tinsel off the Christmas tree and getting in the back of a horse box health and safety issues, don't even come into this, and being driven around from house to house, dancing sets and singing songs and raising money for the party that you would have uh, at the end of all of that. Um, But as a child, what we used to do, myself and my sister, was we would, again, get some tinsel off the tree um, and dress up and go from house to house singing away in a manger and silent night and other horrors, (laughs) I'm sure, and be given Christmas cake and hard cold cash and uh, walking for miles and coming home with our pockets bulging and our feet freezing. So my name is Alice Meyer and um, I'm a visual artist and I just have a kind of memory from when I was young. So we lived in the middle of the country in Tipperary in a place called Kilmoyda where I come from and with family of five with mother and father and Christmas was a big family time for us but my all my family were ferocious gamblers and they loved playing cards it was a country kind of thing so they played cards you know Christmas and uh, my mother and they'd be jumping and talking about jinking and trumping and I didn't know what they were talking about because I couldn't follow the cards I just had not the brain you know what I mean not that I couldn't add but I just wasn't able to do that thing about the more the red the less the black my mother kept trying to teach me but um, so I would be in the corner and what I was doing was drawing and that's why I became an artist Uh, my name is Mary Kennedy. I'm a co-presenter of Nationwide and uh, I have really fond memories of Christmases growing up. Um, the It really started a few weeks beforehand with the puddings being made and steamed and the, the windows being steamed up as well. There were at least five Christmas cakes adorning the sideboard in the dining room. I don't know what my mother used to do. She used to give them as presents. But what fascinates me is that we kept two and we managed to eat two Christmas cakes over Christmas. And then on uh, Christmas Eve, it was the smells. The the bread sauce being made with the onion and the clove stuck in it and the turkey roasting. And then the lovely thing that I have recreated in my own house is the, the candle. My The youngest member of the family brought the candle in and that was my brother Tony and we all processed behind him singing away in a manger and the the candle would be put in the window to welcome strangers who might be passing by. My name is Carrie O'Brien and I'm the founder of Commando Underwear. My fondest Christmas tradition and memories throughout the years is Christmas Eve. We would go to 4.30 Mass on Christmas Eve and many times the children's Mass and we'd all go back to our house and we would sing Christmas carols, but we'd also have Lobster Newburgh. It's the one time a year we would have it. And it was just a perfect way to welcome in the Christmas uh, festivities. Lobster Newburgh is pounds and pounds of lobster that's de-shelled, so the work is taken out of it. And it's in this 
creamy bisque that has just a little bit of liqueur in it and it has either sherry or cognac and you serve it over toast so you get this delicious lobster taste without the work and of course anything with cream it's got to be good right g'day my name is Brianna Parkins. You might know me as the Rose of Repeal and now as a reporter on Virgin Media One's Island AM. This is my Christmas story and you can read all about it in the Christmas Eve magazine edited by the righty Roisin Ingle. Since moving to Dublin from Sydney in October, friends and family have been asking me how I've been getting on. Some because they genuinely care, others like my mum ask me because they live in hope the cold weather and dodgy immersion will send me running back. My answer is, the weather is crap, but the people are sound. I haven't seen it on the tea towels around Temple Bar, but it's my personal tourism slogan for Ireland. The everyday soundness of Irish people is confronting. From the bus driver who let me on when I didn't have change, and the colleagues who picked me up from the Lewis when it rains. It's my friends who invite me into their living rooms, the ones who taught me that drinking wine and laughing at children on the toy show is not just permitted, but encouraged as a national sport. Even complete strangers are committed heavily to the observance of soundness. It was the bank manager who had tickets to the rugby and pictured himself sneaking off with a clear run on the M50 until I came in, crying with frustration that an admin error had sent my card back to Australia, again. He only hinted at the discomfort most middle-aged men show when confronted with a crying 20-something-year-old woman, and he achieved what I couldn't in four phone calls and three other branch visits. Sometimes he even emails me to see how I'm getting on. But it's still hard to be a new arrival in Ireland, the place where six degrees of separation is condensed down to three. I live in a part of old Dublin where houses built 40 years ago are still called the new houses, and three generations of family drink at the same pub. I've never seen the barman asked what they want. They just nod, and he knows. I could stay for a decade and still feel like an interloper. I have the luxury of being a native English speaker, and some days, when I meet Brazilian and Polish migrants, I furtively probe them to see how they do it, how they make a home here, seeing if I can take a shortcut. One told me I had to stop comparing here and there, not to mentally catalogue what is better where. I try to remind myself of this when I've gone a week with half-shaved legs because the immersion prevents me from having a full shower. The process is complicated by the fact that Dublin is not completely foreign to me. It's the hometown of my mum's family and it owns the accents of the people I love. Strangers now have the same voice as my Northsider nan. When I hear it on the red line, Lewis, I look up half expecting her to be there. It's shorthand for all the netball games she's come to over the years, her sharp one-liners, the hilarious and sometimes unwanted advice about men she gives to cringing granddaughters. It's the smell of Elizabeth Taylor's white diamonds and her famous apple pies, the secret handshakes with $5 notes folded up inside. In the Liberties, the tales of my granddad's rat baggery now have settings. He has given me a list of places and names... When health concerns threaten to close Dublin off to him permanently, Google Earth has opened it back up. He can revisit old houses. When I get homesick, I put the Dubliners on, he told me the day before I left. I didn't realise either of them got homesick. They hadn't let on to me for the 28 years I'd known them. But then I'd been one of the first-born Australian children, had always lived in safety and convenience of the new, easy country. Too busy going to the beach to have to think about it. My grandparents arrived in Australia just before Christmas. They landed in Darwin in 40-degree heat on their connecting flight. My mum and her siblings sweating in heavy coats, my grandmother desperately stripping them down, acutely aware of immigration on the lookout for immigrants carrying potential fevers. They spent the first few days in a migrant hostel in Sydney. The factory where my grandfather had come across the world for a job for had shut down for the holidays. 
Nan threatened to move home after her first meeting with a huntsman spider. They had met in the dance halls of Dublin and now they had moved to Western Sydney, a place where only half the houses had indoor plumbing at the time. I remember it being a good Christmas for us kids, but it wouldn't have been a good Christmas for them really, Mum said. So I can't complain much, with my indoor plumbing and Skype and ASOS next day delivery presents. But Christmas away from home is not really Christmas. I am lucky enough to be spending it with my lovely housemate and her lovely family. I can finally wear a Christmas jumper and enjoy a roast away from the belting midday sun. But part of me still wants to be sitting on a living room floor in Sydney, accusing a cousin of cheating at Monopoly under a $20 Kmart fan. For me, Christmas only really begins when mum calls to complain she has put up the tree all by herself because no one helps. It does not matter that this is a lie, and that in fact we offer to help every year. This is preceded by her annual attempt to parts off a bunch of sticks with lights on them as a modern, abstract, tasteful tree, which is always foiled by Dad, who proceeds to spend eight hours setting up the big plastic green one, after he texts that no one helped him set it up. Only then may Christmas begin. Christmas is also a litmus test for new relationships in my extended family. It's the first time prospective partners have to face them down. They will always get called by an ex-boyfriend's name. This is no one's fault but your own, says Mum, because these change boyfriends like you change your undies. It's nerve-wracking facing down the West Coast cooler aunts, but if they can run the final gauntlet of the slightly pissed-up and protective uncles in Nan's backyard, then they're goers. The final test is the putting up and packing down of the Aldi gazebo, like some kind of skin-pinching closing ceremony. I have two big families, so Christmas Day is a logistical feat and usually involves two sittings at my parents' house. They have an in-ground pool, which, for better or worse, anointed them hosts for the last 20 years. It's seen some fairly competitive games of Marco Polo over the years, but bigger battle lines are drawn up early. Nana Betty makes the pudding. Other Nan does the trifle. The territories are carved up and respected, lest the great double mud cake of 1999 repeats itself. Last year I made the pavlova to begrudging approval, which would have cemented my place in the female family hierarchy had I not bought the wrong type of cream. This time of year is a bit more complex for Dad's side. Three years ago, we lost my cousin just before Christmas. He was very young. Not a death that anyone could take comfort in, and I often think about his dad and siblings who have to spend the day without him. My memories of him mainly revolve around childhood Christmas. The Parkins are all prone to cheating at Monopoly, but he had a particular knack for shoving notes underneath the board under the pretext of playing banker. Then there was the made-up hunts for bunyips, which are kind of these mysterious, mystical bush creatures that you use to frighten younger cousins, basically. And there's also the forbidden South Park VHS. I only see the cousins once or twice a year. We have completely different lives, live in different states, barely speak sometimes, but we're all in each other's memories of Christmas. All have a shared trauma of uncles and speedos, of ours having to listen to horse races when our dads wouldn't take us to the beach. My grandmother's poor neighbour, who we waged a war of terror against during the mid-90s. All it takes is, do you remember that time we hit a dead fish under that caravan to set us off? Sometimes we fight. Sometimes we settle decades-old arguments over euchre. We're not a family that hides skeletons. We prop them up at the table and we get them a beer. We don't carry our grudges around. We dump them all out on the table, usually at 1am, when you know full well they didn't roll a six to pass go. I think, like my grandparents, I don't miss a physical place. It's more people suspended in a certain time. It's dangerous to be homesick for something you can't go completely back to. I worry about being away too long, that I'll miss my nieces and nephews' milestones. Sydney will get even more unaffordable. Friends will move on. The same fear all immigrants have, really. 
the bad parts get glossed over and you forget why you left. I've been playing Australia's only real Christmas song all week. It's our fairy tale of New York, but instead of two addicts, it's about a bloke in prison writing to his brother, asking him not to write his wife. We too have a warped sense of festive songs. It's called How to Make Gravy. It's by Paul Kelly. And there's one line I keep singing over and over again. Have a Merry Christmas. I'm really going to miss this. All the treasure and the trash. I'd like to dedicate this piece to Mary McDarby, who welcomed me into her home and was an authority on Irish soundness. Happy Christmas, everyone. My name is Amanda Coogan and I'm a performance artist. And uh, when I was growing up, I was the first hearing child to a deaf couple. And some very clever social worker or something uh, gave them a radio. And in the olden days, I was born in 71, it was one of those knob radios. And uh, in my memory, it was always out of tune. Uh, And Santa used to come on Christmas Eve at three o'clock. And mum would sit myself and my wonderful sister Michelle around the kitchen table to uh, try and listen for Santa. And all we would hear, because myself and my sister are hearing, we'd just hear (laughs) the wonderful static and kind of nod between ourselves when it was time that we told mum that, yes, we've just heard Santa going. (laughs) My name is Anne Ingle and I ghost wrote a book called Driven about the story of Rosemary Smith. Well, what happened to me was one Christmas, i never forget it, because I had changed my religion. I was a Protestant, and I'd been uh, spent many hours converting to the Catholic faith, and it was very important to me. But being a Catholic meant I had to go to Mass, and I had four small children. And I remember I was a bit of a novice at cooking as well as the religion, and I dressed the children up and put the turkey in the oven and went off down to Mass towing these four kids and we got into the church and there was lots of crying and I had to shush everybody and it was a nightmare. The whole thing was a nightmare. And I came out of that place and we managed to get back up to the house. And when I walked in the house, the smell of burning would just hit my nose. I'd put the oven up far too high. And there was this turkey. I opened the oven door and the smoke and the four children all sat around and I pulled it out onto the floor. I didn't know what else to do. We all sat on the floor looking at the black turkey and I was crying and they said, oh, never mind, mummy, it's okay. But it wasn't okay. And I kind of, it was the church then. It, it, I kind of blamed the Catholic church for that terrible happening. And that's an awful thing to say, but happy Christmas, everyone. Well, that was a bit sad, mad and hilarious. And that's it for today. Thanks to everyone who shared their Christmas memories with us. Remember, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. We are on iTunes, Spotify and all good podcast apps. If you need to get something off your chest, we are on Twitter and Facebook at IT Women's Podcast or email us on thewomenspodcast at irishtimes.com. The podcast is produced by Roisin Ingle and Jennifer Ryan with JJ Ryan on sound. I'm Cathy Sheridan and from all of us here at the Women's Podcast, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.